Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I just want to let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community. This week, Sam Seifert is continuing in our new series from Philippians titled Gospel Citizens. And really the best way that you can know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint. And you can find a link to that viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. Or you can go on Realm and you can join the group Southview Family Updates and that will make sure you're always getting the weekly viewpoint in your inbox. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we would love to hear from you. You can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. Additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant, because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. And the sermon text is from Philippians 2 through 11. I think that's... Oh. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then take my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mine. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow, uh, we, uh, we live in a super hyper divided age, don't we? You ever find that? You're, it's like super easy to be divided over things. Every time we turn around, uh, we're being asked to take sides on something, uh, to demonize people on one side, not back down on the other. Uh, You've got to declare yourself on so many things, don't you? So, uh, for instance, in entertainment, it's either Marvel or DC, right? Uh, Our house, it's all Marvel. Like, we're not huge DC fans. Or it's uh, Star Wars versus Star Trek. We're divided in our house over this. Cammy's a Trekkie, I am Star Wars. I am my kid's father. <laughs> or how about the big debate in athletics? LeBron or MJ? Who's the GOAT? MJ? Yes? Or how about with your uh, appliances, uh, Apple or Android? Right? I mean, we divide over athletics and entertainment all the time. 
But then we also divide ourselves over more important matters, don't we? Like politics. Or, who, or even who to pray for during wartime. Like we prayed about in community life, the conflict between Palestine and Israel. And even though Jesus prayed that his church would be one as he and the Father are one, the church regularly finds itself assaulted by divisions and dissensions that threaten to tear us apart. So what's the application uh, from Paul? What it means to live as a gospel citizen in this hyper-divided age in which we live? And he would say one thing, humility. Humility is the application. And so here's where we're going uh, tonight. Uh, this is kind of the main point. So if you walk out and you're like, what did, what did Pastor Sam talk about? It's this. There's no real life without community. And there's no real community without humility. And we're going to see that in our text today that was read by uh, Dave earlier. Um, and ultimately, in this passage, we're going to see the gospel citizens, they walk in humility with one another. When Paul explains to the Philippians that they should not look to their own interests or concerns for the sake of humility and love, this could easily be misunderstood to mean believers are not allowed to care for themselves or advocate for their own rights or needs. Now, this is a very important for us to hear at Southview. That is a form of doormat humility that Paul would never endorse. And it certainly doesn't mean putting up with abuse or harm. Humility does not mean that you cannot attend to your own needs. And it certainly does not mean that you, can ask, you cannot ask for help. So what is humility then? Well, it seems like a simple question, but we kind of, if we were to sit down, we'd all really struggle to identify what it is. But it's one of those words that when you see it, you can point to it, right? Oh, that's humility. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote that a humble person will not be thinking about humility. They will not be thinking about themselves at all. Or I like how Rick Warren put it. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Now, in a Roman perspective, there was no such thing as the virtue of humility. Life's goal was to demonstrate superiority. I was just out golfing with a couple of people on Friday, and that's all we were trying to do, to demonstrate superiority over one another. Now, the Greek word we translate as humility in the New Testament meant lowliness in the Roman mind, which smacked of weakness and inferiority. So think about it this way. Think about sports, whether it's club basketball or school basketball, college, uh, the pros, whatever it is. They are competitive environments. We rank players. Teams get demoted in some leagues. And only one team is going to win the tournament, even if several teams do extremely well. And so in the ancient world, everyone sought to prove their own superiority, especially in comparison to someone else. There was no give everyone a trophy attitude in the Roman world. Now, Pliny the Younger, he was a Roman lawyer in the first century. He's also a magistrate. For example, he demonstrates this with a very Roman mindset when he writes this. And it's a bit shocking. This is what he writes. Nothing is more unequal than equality itself. 
Nothing is more unequal than equality itself. So what he is saying is, is that it's actually unfair to treat everyone the same. Higher status people deserve preferential treatment or else the fabric of society itself would collapse. That's how they thought in first century Rome. Life was kind of like this big ladder. The whole goal of all of society was to climb up the ladder, to get to the top. And as I climb the ladder, I do whatever I can to get up to the very top. And that means as I'm looking up and there's someone above me, what do I do? I grab their ankle and I pull them off the ladder because then I can keep moving up the ladder. Now, Paul would say it's completely opposite what he's saying here in the, in the, to the Philippian church. He's saying it's not about going up the ladder and looking up the ladder. It's actually about looking down the ladder. So as I'm looking down the ladder, I see people below me, and my job as a Christ follower, as a gospel citizen, is actually to help people up the ladder as I'm making my way down. I'm helping them move up in status and rank as a follower of Jesus. And so Paul is advocating for this idea of climbing down the ladder and helping others up. So he's arguing in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, that we should be preoccupied with the glory and honor of the other, not ourself. So imagine going to your work this week or school or wherever it might be, and everyone at that place had this goal. My job is to make the other people on my team look good. That would be a remarkably countercultural ideology. And Paul is proposing very something very similar. In context where rank and reputation are everything, like we saw in Pliny's viewpoint, Paul turns it upside down by telling them to treat each other as actually superior in status. That might seem unfair, but if everyone defers to the other, it subverts this stratified culture where everyone pushes to be at the top, to be first. And so in verse 4, Paul makes this extremely clear. He basically is saying, Christians should never say, not my problem, to someone else. Because humans naturally protect their own interests. But the whole nature of the gospel, it actually defies this kind of thinking. The self-giving God made it a priority to care for us. And we are called to carry out this ministry of care for others as if they were our own family members. So think about this. What kind of world would it be if men commended women? What kind of world would it be if the older commended the younger? Or if race did not become a dividing line of status? And the sad thing, in spite of over 2,000 years to acclimate to the centrality of humility in Christian ethic, the church has often found itself enamored and enmeshed in power, status, and prestige. I mean, even with the contemporary church highlighting servant leadership, abuses of power remain far too common even today in our culture. 
So last year, uh, we took our pastors through a book, which I highly recommend. It was called A Church Called Tove. It's by Scott McKnight. Highly recommend this book that you pick it up and read it. Um, And we read it through because we're looking at how do we here at Southview create a culture of goodness. And goodness, that word good is tov in Hebrew. And so that's what that word means. How do we resist the abuses of power here in our community? So what exactly are the culture and ethos of the gospel dimension? You know, it's not like, unlike those multiverse dimensions where we talked about last week where maybe food is free. The gospel dimension is really this mind-bending reality where people live in a completely different way. And Paul captures a vision for this gospel ethos in our, in our text today in verse uh, 3 and 4. It says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Could you imagine a world that operated like that? How could a place such as that even exist? Well, Marvel and DC, they have their superheroes, don't they? Metal suits, hammers, capes. Well, Christians, we have our own superhero. Jesus Christ. Gospel citizens not only walk in humility, but they look to Jesus as their example. For Paul, the ultimate example is Jesus. And it's expressed here in this beautiful poem or hymn, which is so rich we could actually do a 10-week series and not even mind the depths of this hymn. But the humility of Jesus is portrayed as this downward movement from his glorious heavenly existence to the dust of the earth in the incarnation, in his eventual death. And so it's crystal clear that the emphasis falls not just on the condensation of Jesus, but his willing demotion. Now, most people today do all they can to move upward in whatever they're attacking or going after. But here we find this glorious supreme being who proves his highness by going down. And verse 5 sets up the reader's orientation to this Christ poem where it says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, no one can absolutely reproduce what Christ has done. His work was and is unique and divine. The Philippians were not meant to die on a cross and become divine. They were called to shape their mindset and their thoughts according to that cross, modeling his humility and obedience to God. And so we see in this poem, it's kind of designed like this cosmic parable. Paul uses literary images to paint the story in such vibrant colors for us. So in the opening scene in verse 6, Paul conjures up this image of a glorious being in the heavenly realm. His divine glory shone like a star, reflecting his celestial status. Now, when normal humans like you or me are imbued with this kind of power, our temptation is to cling to it tightly, right? Kind of like Gollum in the Lord of the Rings with his ring of power. My precious. He's just holding on to that. That's what we do. 
But not so with Jesus. On the contrary, he willingly gave up that royal honor and radiant glory in obedience to the call of the Father to go into the world and rescue it from sin. And it takes this, all this space to dwell on the humility of Jesus. This downward movement from divine glory to humble flesh was like a human king becoming a common slave. I mean, what could be more degrading than that? Well, Paul will answer, death by shameful crucifixion. And this was a form of Roman punishment was designed to be the most demeaning of all executions in the ancient world. Nijay Gupta writes, in a world where honor was everything, crucifixion completely wiped out a person's reputation and that of their whole family. Nobody willingly volunteers for the cross, but Jesus did, obeying the will of his father to save sinners. Now, for most people, the story would probably end there. But astonishingly, the poem continues. God actually honors the self-sacrificing obedience of Jesus by raising him up now to even more unmatched status than before. And he bestows a special title on Jesus. And he calls him Lord. So despite the humility of Jesus, lowering himself to the most humble station in the end... All beings will bow down before him. Now, like we said, Christians, we can obviously never attain the supreme authority like Jesus. But what we do see here is that God honors those who obey him, who are willing to lay down their lives in love for others, in obedience to him. As Paul would go on to write, all this will ultimately bring God glory. So what does that mean for us here at Southview? Well, we want to develop habits that will reflect a spirit-forming kind of culture here at Southview. And there's a few things. First, humility. That we would walk in humility with one another, considering others more important than ourselves. Not giving in to rivalry or conceit or superiority pulling people off the ladder here at Southview, but looking down and how do we pull them up? Meaning care for others, looking out for the interests of others more than my own interests, but our collective interests. We are together working towards the same end, the advancement of the gospel. That is the vision that unites us together as a church, that we would move the gospel forward in this world in which God's placed us. And third, we would learn to follow the example of Jesus, taking this downward path and leaving the exaltation in God's hand at the end of the day. So as we said earlier, there's no real life without community. And there's no real community without humility. So what am I going to do this week with this? When I wake up on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday morning. Yes, I know the days of the week. Thank you. For five days. Because oftentimes it's like, well, I have so much going on. Give me one thing. What can I do this week to enter into this idea of living as a gospel citizen in my life, in the world in which God has placed me? And here's the question that I want us to wrestle with and think about. This week, each and every day you wake up, who in my life today 
Can I lift up the ladder as I make my way down? That's it. Monday morning. Who in my life today can I lift up the ladder as I'm making my way down? Whether it's in your family, your workplace, with your colleagues, your friends, that's the question for us to think about. What does it mean to be a gospel citizen, to walk in humility, to follow the example of Jesus? So I love the structure of this hymn. The structure of this hymn is actually a chiasm. You're like, what's a chiasm? Well, a chiasm is a literary device. And so authors will use this throughout the Bible. There's lots of them in the Bible. An idea is presented, and then it's repeated in reverse order. And where there's the middle point, that's the main point of the chiasm, of what the author is trying to reveal. And so in this chiasm of 6 to 11, guess what the central point of this entire hymn is? It's the cross. The cross is central. It is the very center of our path as a community here to real community. That is where humility is born. And the key to community in our lives is not just getting along, being nice, staying in the room, but it's experiencing the transforming work of the cross of Jesus as we ourselves die with him at that place. We go down to death to ourself in order that we can bring life to those around us, modeling our life after Jesus. And the key to all of this is recognizing it's our participation in the life of Jesus. We can do nothing apart from being in Jesus. Now, only Jesus can do the transforming work of making us into a gospel citizen. And he's already shown us the way, and it's the cross. That is the way of following after Jesus. And really, coming to this table is a way of us going down the ladder, actively taking part in Christ's humility himself as he went to the cross. So as we come to the table, we're participating in the life of Jesus, the life of humility, and in that humility, real community can be born here at Southview. And it allows us to consider the interests of others ahead of ourselves, to care for one another, to journey through life together, and actually subvert all of our culture to say the world would look at us and say, that's different. They aren't trying to go up they're trying to go down. And so as we come to this table, we're now participating in the life of Christ as he feeds us and sustains us in the very life that he gave for us. And so we're going to invite um, some volunteers uh, to come forward to our tables. We have a table in the back over there, up here, up here, and over there. And so uh, I invite a couple of volunteers uh, to come to each station, and then I'm going to give some instructions. So if you want to make your way there, that would be helpful. And then um, I'm going to walk us through um, our process here of how this is going to look, because this is our first time doing this at our services. So if we can have a couple people at each table, that would be great. Two people.
This is awesome. Thanks for volunteering. We're going to be able to sing some songs as well. We're going to partake together. And this is a community meal coming together to be fed from Jesus. And then after this, we're going to go have a different kind of community meal with desserts. How exciting. So, what we're going to do is I'm going to walk through uh, what communion is. Um, and then we're going to open up the tables and feel free to go to a table near you. We're going to wait to you about uh, six or eight people at a table and then just gather around. You'll get your elements uh, from uh, the volunteers here. And then you'll open up the bread and then you'll hear the words uh, spoken to you. This is the body of Christ broken for you, received from him. You'll take together in that community meal and then you'll do likewise with the cup. And then when you're done, if you can serve each other um, at your stations. So uh, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. And after he gave thanks, he said, this bread represents my body, which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And again, after supper, he took the cup and he says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink, remember me. And so Jesus, as we come now to this meal, we pray that you would feed us, that you would transform us into gospel citizens that would walk in humility with one another, looking to you as our example, and that this week we would ask that question, who can I lift up the ladder as I'm making my way down? We come now to this table to participate in the humility of Jesus, that we might be marked by the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Danny's going to lead us, come to the table. When there's about six or eight, just, just pause until that group is done. When they're released, then the next group can come to the table.
God. What a great opportunity to come as a community, to be fed by Jesus, to be reminded that we participate in the life of Jesus, a life marked by humility. The opportunity to go and now live that out as gospel citizens, bringing a whole new dimension into this world as we go to the different various places in which we're, we're uniquely positioned by God to make that a reality. And so as we come to the close of our service, obviously our service is not over. It's an opportunity to go and uh, feast together. So I invite you to stand uh, for our closing uh, benediction and uh, to stick around afterwards to come out uh, to grab some food. And thank you for bringing food uh, this evening. We have tables set up all down the cardo. And a reminder, if you can, it'd be really helpful if you haven't grabbed a name tag, to grab a name tag at one of the stations so that when you're sitting at a table, it's easier to remember, oh yeah, you just said your name and I can remember it. And try to find some people, yes, your friends, sit with your friends, but invite some other people to get to know them. Move some tables together, have a group of 12, and get to know one another and share life together as we walk in this journey together. So as we go into this week, now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll see you out there for some good food.